I heard a man speaking uh, before about uh, an experience that he'd had. He was raised in a Christian home, and he'd embraced that as a younger person. And uh, as he got a little bit older in, in, his, uh, in his early 20s, um, he began to back off his faith. And he talked about his mother, who would pray for him. And he said he would get in in the wee hours of the morning and he would steal into the house quietly so as not to uh, disturb anybody. And he would hear his mother praying for him and interceding before the throne of God. And uh, it it had a profound effect on him. And in fact, it was what God did to answer that mother's prayers to bring that man back into a right relationship with God. There's something humbling about being prayed for. There's something humbling about hearing your name or have people surround you in prayer, something very beautiful and something very sobering. And in fact, this is going to happen for the disciples. And uh, if you haven't been with us, you won't know that we have been uh, in a series of talks Uh, with Jesus in the last night in which uh, he lived before he was crucified, gathering his disciples together around him, he began to pour his heart out to them. It it was kind of a farewell. He told them he was going to be leaving them, and that was absolutely devastating news. And so uh, on on the throes of, of leaving, he pours out his heart in prayer. And uh, they're able to eavesdrop on that prayer and hear him praying to his father. And hear him praying for them. It was a humbling and sobering moment for them. As he prepares them for life when he'll be gone. And he shared a whole pile of things with them. And as he comes to the conclusion of this, he ends this whole uh, parting wisdom time with them with a prayer. You can tell a lot about a person listening to them pray. You can learn a lot about what's important to them and what they value. And the Bible shows us Jesus praying so frequently in the Gospels, in fact, so frequently that the disciples understand something about the the centrality of prayer in his life and who he was and how he lived his life, which caused them to say, Lord, teach us to pray. We see that it's a powerful force in your life. Lord, teach us to pray. And so we have Jesus praying often, but we have so few examples of what Jesus actually said. In the passage that we have, uh, that we're going to look at this morning, we have the longest prayer that Jesus ever gave and that was recorded for us. It's been called by many as the his high priestly prayer. It's kind of a prayer of dedication over them as now he's finished telling them what he wants to tell them. Now he's going to leave and and, uh, he concludes with a prayer. It's in John 17 and it gives us the longest and fullest expression of Jesus praying. We learn something. It teaches us something about Jesus and who he is and about praying and And over this whole thing, you see, the cross has cast a shadow. 
Jesus knows that just hours from then, he's going to be hanging on a cross and, and all the indignities he will suffer and, and, and the brutalization. And uh, being aware of that, he has the presence of mind to pray. In this impending crisis upon him, he pours out his heart in prayer. That should be instructive for us in and of itself. And this is, as I said, a kind of a prayer of dedication, and it's really divided into three different parts, this prayer. And so I want us to look at it. Um, the scriptures are going to be up on the screen, but if you'd like to follow along in the Bible, if you have your Bible with you, that's great. If you don't, there's a, a Bible in the seat back in front of you, and feel free to take that, and you can turn to page 903. Page 903. And that should get you to... Um, John 17. And uh, the first thing we find Jesus praying for is he prays for himself. In the first five verses, Jesus prays for himself. I said our prayers can be very revealing about who we are and what our priorities and values are. And uh, Jesus will begin praying, and he'll begin praying for himself. In verse 1, it says this. When Jesus had spoken these words, he'd finished sharing with the disciples all that he wanted to share with them. Uh, He lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he began to pray. A a typical posture, heaven seeming to be above, and Jesus looks up to heaven, probably outstretched his hands as well, and begins to pray. And uh, the first prayer is Jesus Uh, As he prays for himself, Jesus wants glory so that he can bring glory to the Father. Look at what it says in John uh, 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. It's interesting. If you look through the Gospel of John, so often when Jesus is in the throes, in the midst of controversy, uh, it will say, uh, you know, they, were, they wanted to kill him, but his hour hadn't come. But his hour hadn't come. His hour hadn't come. It wasn't time. And, and he lived out his ministry. He was fully in control of the schedule of when things would happen, in spite of even the, uh, the Jews not wanting him crucified at the time of Passover. And, and uh, now, all of a sudden, the hour has come. He says, the time has come. This is it. I'm, I'm, it's time for me to go to the cross. And, and that's how he begins Uh, preparing for this prayer and what he's going to ask. And he says, Lord, glorify your son. Now, to some of us, this would sound uh, rather strange. Glorify your son. What does this mean? It it, it almost sounds self-centered. Glorify me. Make something of me. And and that's not really what he's saying because when you understand what he's saying, bring glory, bring bring praise and honor to me. Clothe me, me with splendor. But what he's talking about is the cross. The glory he's talking about is to go in just hours from then into this terrible, horrendous death to be hung on a cross. That's confusing for us. The hour has come, now glorify me. And that glorification would come through uh, terrible suffering and abuse and shame. It's kind of a convoluted sense uh, 
of glory. And Jesus asks God to glorify him, to display his wonder and beauty through him on the cross. So that in the cross we see the glory of Jesus as he obediently fulfills what God the Father called him to do. Father, the hours come. This is what I came for. This is what you brought me for. And I'm going to walk through this. Uh, this task of dying for sinners. But his purpose is this. Note, he says, Father, Father, uh, uh, glorify your Son so that the Son might glorify you. See, everything Jesus did was to the glory of the Father. Everything he did was that God would be magnified, that his Father would be exalted, that his Father would be seen. And, and how instructive is that for prayer? In your prayer is the, is the ultimate purpose of everything you pray for, that God would be glorified in your life. I mean, that's a challenge, isn't it? Listen to some of our prayers. And, and it's not that we can't pray for stuff for ourselves. It's not that we can't pray for needs or physical needs or healing or any of that other thing. But is the ultimate purpose for our life, the glory of God, I mean, even we're told in, in the New Testament that even in the mon, most mundane of things, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, um, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you do, even the most mundane of daily chores and activities, do everything, everything to the glory of God. And Jesus' whole life was given to bring glory to the Father. That is uh, such a such a uh, um, a poignant uh, mark on the prayer life and the very life of Jesus, that his whole motivation for everything he did was that his Father would be glorified, to honor and exalt and praise the Father. That's what motivated him. What motivates you in your prayer? Is it ultimately the glory of God? Well, he would talk then about a, uh, a completed task that he'd done. Uh, in, uh, in verses 2 to 4, we read this. Since you have given him authority, that is, God gave Jesus absolute authority over all people, uh, given uh, him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to him, uh, to, who, um, uh, to all whom have gi- you have given him. He says this, you've given me all authority, and that authority is to be able to give life to people, eternal life to people. And, and, and that's what I came to do, uh, to give them life, eternal life. And, and well, what is life, he says? Life is this. Eternal life is to know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He talks about this, uh, this uh, task that he was sent to. His whole purpose in coming was to bring salvation. But the way he talks about it here is to bring everlasting life to everyone. And we go back in John's gospel and we hear... Uh, 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 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting, eternal life in him. That's why he came. Uh, He would go on in chapter three, a couple verses later, and and he would say that, that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't come to condemn it. He came to save it and and to bring life to us. And, And so 
Jesus is talking there and he says, I, I, I've come and, and eternal life is that they might know the only true God. When he's talking about knowing God, he's not talking about understanding theology or a whole pile of facts about what God is like and what his characteristics are and all that. He's talking about having an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. What everlasting life is about. It's about having a relationship with Jesus. It's about knowing him in a very intimate and close and personal way. That's what our faith is all about. It's not about rituals. Uh, and ri- there's nothing wrong with rituals, but it, it, it's beyond rituals. It's, it's not intellectual knowledge. It's a relationship, a living relationship with God and with his son, Jesus Christ. And he came to make that possible by dying on a cross. And so Jesus could say this, I have glorified you on earth having accomplished the work you gave me to do. Isn't that incredible? Jesus basically said, everything you wanted me to do, I've done. Did everybody hear you, Jesus? No. Did you, did you get to every corner of Israel? Did you? No, no. But I've done everything the Father has asked. You know, I, I find sometimes that I can run around like a, a chicken with my head cut off, and I'm going in, in every different direction. You know the incredible thing about Jesus? He's never in a hurry. You ever notice that? His life is so ordered step by step by God's plan for him that he's never in a hurry and he can say at the end of his life, everything that you've given me to do, I've done. And he's speaking here retrospectively that he's going to go on the cross. And that's, that's a given. The, you know, we've heard Jesus praying, you know, Father, if there's some way, take this, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, what? Not my will, but your will be done. And, and so he is going to the cross. He will accomplish uh, that salvation for us so that we have the opportunity of being forgiven and having this relationship with him. And, and having finished all this, Jesus says um, this, uh, having finished all, he says, he has a longing to go home. He wants to go home. He spent 30-some years doing everything God wanted him to do. He's going to pay this, the ultimate price in, in, in being brutalized and, and being killed and hung on a cross, and he longs to go home. Listen to what he says in verse 5. And now, Father... Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Knowing the degrading, painful death that he's going to have, the shame of everything that's going to happen to him. He says, Father, I long to have the glory that I had with you. You ever think of what it took for Jesus uh, to come to earth? He divested himself, not of his godness, not of being God, not his deity, but he divested himself of the glorious splendor of, his, of who he really was, so that he comes as a helpless baby born to a young virgin. He is nurtured and cared for, and when he plays with the other little kids in his village, Nobody knows that's God. When he walks through the marketplace, nobody recognizes that as God. And yet, in John 1, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten. But we didn't see the magnificent, glorious expression. You know, it says in John 1, 18, that 
No one has ever seen God. We're told in Scripture, you can't see God and live. Because our sinful eyes can't look upon his majesty and beauty and glory and and white-hot holiness. And here is Jesus, um, who comes as God among us. So that Philip would say to Jesus, um, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And Jesus goes, oh, Philip, Philip, Philip. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know what the Father's like. But you know what we haven't seen? We haven't seen the incredible glory. I, I mean, that glory was somewhat, somewhat covered and hidden in, in his flesh. And Jesus says, you know what? I long to go back with you, Father. I long to be with you. I long to have the glory that I had with you before I came and took on this humanity. And, and, and when you think about Jesus... And you think about his glory. You think about the splendor of heaven. And here's Jesus there. You you think about the highest ranking angel choirs singing to him. Over and over. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we have a vision of him in in the temple from Isaiah in the Old Old Testament. And you, you you can't even... see him all there is a smoke and rumbling and and these billowing robes in the temple and Jesus is magnified and he has this glory and he and he clothes it in humanity and comes among us and Jesus said oh father I long to have what I had with you before I gave that all up to come down here to save these people wow the glorious existence. You know, Jesus appeared to somebody. He appeared to the arch enemy of the church, Saul of Tarsus, who, who was heading on the road to Damascus to, to get as many Christians as he could, to put him to death, to kill him, to get rid of him. And, um, and Jesus came along, and all he saw was light, light that knocked him off his uh, his horse or his donkey or whatever, and put him on the ground, blinded him. He's, he, 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 he was just totally immobilized by this. That's Jesus. We haven't seen that. We, we've seen what Jesus is like, and we know what the Father's like, but we haven't seen the splendor of Jesus. And Jesus said, you know what? Father, I long to have what I had with you before uh, coming to do this. How incredible is that? Well, Jesus not only prays for himself, he prays for his followers. He prays for his followers. And um, for those 12 that would lead the church, he's going and, and he prays for them because their success will mean the success of the church, will, will mean the success of the whole Christian movement. And so he, here he is at dinner with these guys, warning them, sharing with them, encouraging them, helping them understand, and now he's going to pray for them. Uh, what does he pray for them? First, first I want to see you to see the grounds of his prayer. In, in uh, verse ten, 6 to 10, we read this. Uh, Jesus said, I've manifest your name to the people whom you gave me. Interesting. God gave him those people to be those original disciples. I tell you what, God, God gives. 
Because you don't become a follower of Jesus unless God is working powerfully in your life to give. He says, I've manifested your name. I've showed them what you are like, the ones you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they've kept your word. And now they know that everything you have given me is from them, uh, is from you. For I've given them the words that you gave me, and they received them. And they've come uh, to know in truth that I came from you, and they've believed that you sent me. He, he says, I, you gave them to me, and, and they're, they're yours, and you've given them to me, and I've taught them, and they've believed, and, and this is who they are. Let's continue. He said, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but I pray for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And listen to this. All mine are yours, and all yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. As they were following him, he said, they bring glory to me. Uh, These are the grounds on which he's going to make his request. Um, And here's the request. Request number one is protect them. I'm leaving these guys. The whole movement is going going to rest on them. And we already looked a couple weeks ago, two, three weeks ago at at, uh, persecution, and he warned them, look it, people are not going to love you because of me. They're going to be against you. They're going to fight against you. They'll be hostile against me. There'll be hatred for you. They'll try and kill you and and all the rest of it. And so here is Jesus turning these guys out like, uh, like lambs to the slaughter. The very place where they killed Jesus is the, very, is the place where this whole movement, the whole Christian faith is going to be birthed out of there and out of Jerusalem where the people hated Jesus, they hated his, his followers. And, and so his request is, Father, protect them. Protect them. Uh, you hear the heart of concern that Jesus has for them. I'm leaving them in the world. And, 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 and he shares how inhospitable and all the opposition and hostility and the persecution that will come. And so he begins to pray. And the prayer goes something like this. I'm no longer in the world, but they're in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them. Protect them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I guarded them. Not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be filled. Let's just pause a second. Jesus said, I kept all of them. Do you remember when Jesus went into the garden of Gethsemane, and he said, who are you looking for? And they said, "Uh, Jesus of Nazareth, I'm he. And then they all fell down like, like a bunch of dominoes. And he says, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I'm he. Let these other guys go. What did you, it was eminently protective of his disciples. I've kept them all except one, the son of perdition. And there was a guy that Jesus chose. And it's hard for us to understand all this. He chose a guy who was going to betray him, and that would fulfill the, the prophecy spoken about him. I've kept them all except the one, the son of perdition. That was Judas Iscariot who, who betrayed Jesus. And, and aside from that, I've, I've kept them all. And then he, say, he goes on to say this. But I'm now coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. 
I do not ask you take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus said, you know what, Father, protect them. Protect them. Keep them. Father, I, I've kept all that you called me, all, all that you gave me. I've protected them. But I, I, I'm leaving them now, and I need, Father, that you protect them. The whole, the whole Christian movement is contingent upon the faithfulness of these guys who sat around table with him, uh, that he's given them to the world, uh, he sent them out into the world. He said, you know what? I didn't take, I didn't take them out of the world. You know, what, you know, it would be something if, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus and boop, up you went. You're gone. He didn't do that. He left us here. He left us here with, with the mission. And, and he prays for them as they deal with this. Uh, their role is essential and they need to remain faithful and true to the word of God and to the mission. They can't shrink back. Uh, they can't be quiet. Uh, they can't be intimidated. They can't be muzzled. Everything will go for naught. So Jesus says, protect them. And God, God honored that prayer. He honored that prayer because the word and, and the message got out and the church was launched. And probably within 30 years of Jesus' departure... That church is in excess of 100,000 people, and it's spreading throughout the world. Do you know that Jesus never, Jesus never prays for anything that is not answered positively? You know that? If Jesus prays a prayer, it will be answered because he always prays according to the will of the Father. And uh, when we see the book of Acts, what do we see? Well, we, we come to see by tradition that virtually... All the apostles, with the exception of the one who's John, who's writing this gospel, all died as martyrs. I thought you said protect them. He did protect them. He protected the integrity of their witness and their ministry so that we have what we today have today. And we talked about persecution, and that's going on and on. Now, I just, uh, I just learned 20 minutes ago that... Just over an hour ago, um, two Christian churches in Egypt were attacked by ISIS and bombed. They killed Christians on Palm Sunday. Um, you know what? The enemy is going to try and destroy, but God will protect the integrity of his church. And you can come in this hostile environment, and Jesus told them this was going to happen. People will hate you because of me. People will, will, will be against you. But we see that, that God will still protect his church. I just want to pray for those churches, right? I just want to take a moment. This is, just, this is really, really fresh. Father, as, as a part of your body, as a part of your church, we grieve the kind of thing that happens when believers are going to worship you. And because they love you and because they serve you, there are people that will hate them. And there are places in the world where people express that hatred in the most devious and destructive of ways. And we pray for those people, those churches that have been affected uh, by this ISIS claimed attack. And we pray, Father, that you'd help the church in Egypt to stay strong,
and to stand for you. In Jesus' name, amen. We wouldn't be here today if God didn't answer that prayer for the disciples of Jesus. There'd be no church. There'd be none of us. But here we are, kept by God through Jesus Christ, faithfully sharing the good news. And, um, and the Christian church did gain traction. There's a second prayer request. And here's the second one. In, uh, it's, it's that, that um, God would set them apart. The request is that he would set them apart. Um, he, says, he says in uh, John 17, verse 17, he says this. Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. The word sanctify is, uh, you know, it's not a word that we readily use a lot of. And it's a part of a bigger word group. Um, the, the, uh, the base word, the root word for that word sanctify is holy. Holy. And the whole notion besides holy is something that is separate. It's something that is other and distinct. Something that is apart and set apart. And so from that word we get saint. If you're a saint, you're a person that has been set apart to God. You're holy. You're, You're distinguished as separate from that which is not God. And uh, and God and Jesus says this, I want you, Father, to sanctify, to set apart um, these believers, to set them apart. Um, think, think about it this way. If you have good dishes that you use on special occasion, those are sanctified. They're set apart. You don't use them uh, when the toddlers come around. You don't put them on the kitchen table. It goes out on the dining room table on special occasions, and they get put away very carefully and treated very carefully. Why? Because they're, they're separate. They're special. And, and in a sense, uh, we are, he says, sanctify them. We are set apart as something special to God. We're set apart for God's purposes, for his mission. And uh, he says here... Um, uh, as you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. As you sent me on a mission, I'm sending them on a mission. And so I'm setting them apart. I'm praying, Father, set them apart. Set them apart from the world. Set them apart from all which is wrong. Set them apart for my purposes that they might do my bidding. And he said, you know, what, how, how they'll be set apart is, is by the truth, and your word is truth. So when they take the word of God and they immerse themselves in that and the spirit of truth teaches them and and they have understanding and they obey it, they live this life which is sanctified, set apart, special for God and for his purposes. And uh, if you are a believer, you need to know that God has set you apart from all that is not him, from all that is wrong. He set you apart for himself and for his purpose. And, um, and a very special purpose, namely, to
to share his good news and to be a representative of him in the world. And that first generation did that. They answered it. And as, the, as Christ's whole pro, uh, program was launched, it, was, it, it, it came to fruition because his prayer to set them apart was realized. See, Jesus, um, um, Jesus accomplished this through them. But that there's a third session, section in this, and it's that, this, that Jesus prays for future followers. He not only prays for those initial disciples, but he prays for future followers in verses 20 to 26. And uh, his first request is this. The request one is for unity. He said, Father, uh, what, I, I want to pray for those. Uh, let's look at it in, in uh, John seventeen twenty. He said, I don't ask for these only. That is his immediate disciples. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us. So the world may uh, believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given them. That they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. How beautiful. Jesus says, if we're going to su- succeed in this um, Jesus not only understands that the church can be under under attack from people who don't know him, uh, but he understands this, that the longevity of the church and the legacy of the church is going to require not only that they're able to stand up against uh, persecution and hostility, but that there needs to be something internally where they are unified and united together. Um, and if, if this whole church will continue to, to exist and to grow and to be healthy, the Christian faith, the longevity and the legacy will require that we as God's people are united together. We're concerned about the relationship that we have with one another. It, it's sad when, uh, when churches... And Christians fight each other in the church. And that's destructive. And so he prays, I I pray that they would be one. I pray that they would be in unity. And and the basis for this is, even as the Father and the Son are one, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, we're one. So that's a model for you, uh, uh, a church, to follow. That you would be unified and one. And... and, um, that there would be this um, rock-solid relationship of love uh, that we would have for one another. You know, um, the whole philosophy is divide and conquer, right? And so if you can divide Christians, you can conquer them, you can nullify them. And, and, And why does he say this? He says this because we have a mission to accomplish, and we need to be unified if we're going to have this mission together. And, and so we hear the request to be one. Uh, and the health of our church 
will rest on that. And this, this all goes along with what Jesus had been saying over and over and over again. Love and unity, love and unity going together. By this will all people know that you're my disciples because of the love you have for one another. The, the kind of love that I had for you is the kind of love that you need to have for one another. That there's this incredible unity. And, and look at us. One of the things that I love about our church is the incredible diversity that we have here. We have old, and we have young, and, and we have black and white and everything in between. We have varying degrees of, of affluence and, and different levels of educational experience and various cultural backgrounds. And, and somehow, when God put us together, he said, Now I want you to show the world how this really works, how that you love and care for each other, and, and that you're unified together. And I want to put you on display before the world so the world can see See, really, this is what I had in mind when I thought about, uh, about my church. I want the, the world to look at you, at us, and see, man, that is incredible, those people. And that gives us a standing before them to show the power of the gospel. Because only the gospel can do this kind of thing. Only the gospel can make us one um, out of... All we are. And as you hear Jesus' prayer, oh, Father, make them one. Make them one. Unite them together in the power of the gospel. It was so critical for Jesus that people would lay aside differences and find our commonality in, in, in him the petty differences, the pride, the superiority, all of that would go. None of that we would allow us to hinder the sense of unity that we would have. Folks, I tell you, we need to guard the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, the Apostle Paul says. We need to guard it with all of our hearts. And that's Jesus' prayer. Oh, church, church, be unified and love each other. Well, the second request is um, the request that Jesus has um, that his followers that would come, which includes us down to the, the, this, uh, this time, um, that we would be one with Jesus and we would see his glory. That we would be with Jesus and see his glory. Jesus looked forward to the time when he would go back and... and and have the glory that he had before he came to earth. But his request here is, he wanted them to be with him, and he wanted them to see his glory. Jesus looked forward in time. He looked forward to be physically reunited with his followers. He wanted them to be with him, and they wanted, he wanted them to see his resplendent nature, unfettered, uh, by human limitation, to see the full expression of his glory. He says in, uh, in 1724, he says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me. Where I am to see my glory that you've given me, because you've loved me before the foundation of the world. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that you have sent me. I may know to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them 
and I in them. He says, I can hardly wait for us to be together. Remember last week I said the whole purpose of God for us is to be with him eternally. And when he went away and and Jesus went away, that was God God leaving. He says, it's all right, I'm going to send you another advocate, the Holy Spirit, who will be with you. He's with you and he will be in you. And he's saying, but I can hardly wait. Father, I'm looking forward to that time when you bring us all together and we are with you together. Incredible. But not only that, he says, I want them to see the full extent of my glory. I mean, we see Jesus on the cross, and we see the Jesus, we see Jesus uh, walking around in Israel. But, that, but some of that, that incredible manifestation of his glory we don't see, and we, and we can't hack it. No one can see God and live. Ah, but, but in that day, we'll be able to see him in all of his glory, and we'll have to worry about dying because of that. Won't that be incredible? And so Jesus said, Father, I'm praying for them. I'm looking forward to this time. You know what that assures me of, too? To get from there to, to, get from, 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 there to, uh, to from here to there, he's got to do something to keep us in that way. I love what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians uh, 1.6. He said, he who has begun a good work in you will carry it out until the day of Jesus Christ. You know, he started something good. How do we know we're going to make it to the finish line? How how do we know we'll be with him in glory and we'll have glorified body? Because he prayed. And so if if the Father gave gave them to him, he'll keep them. And, And he's able to take them from the start of that journey to the consummation of that journey. Isn't that incredible? You hear Jesus... Can you imagine? You're eavesdropping on Jesus and his prayer. You're listening. thinking, oh man, he's praying for me. He's praying for me. And he never, ever, ever, none of his prayers ever go unanswered. Because he always prays according to the Father's will. Man, what a beautiful way to end what he had to say to them. Now we're just hours from the cross. And uh, Thursday, we're going to... uh, we're going to live through the Thursday night uh, events. Friday morning, we're going to live through and, and retell the story of the crucifixion. And, and then Easter Sunday, we're going to have this glorious uh, ex- expression of what God uh, has done in raising Jesus from the dead in our faith. But hear him praying. He's praying for you. Have you trusted him? Uh, you say, well, you know, I, I, I want to be there. I, I, I want to be that person. Well, only he can make that. You've got to put your faith and trust in him, but you can't do that on your own. God, the Father, has to give you to him. The Holy Spirit has to convict you you didn't care about the bad things you did before, but, but now the Holy Spirit is convicting you about th- the wrong things in your life. You used to just pass that off and it didn't even bother you, but, but he's convicting you of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. He's working in you. The Holy Spirit is bearing witness to the person of Jesus, and he may be doing that in you. 
And, and uh, as we close in just a few moments, maybe you need to talk to somebody. Maybe you need to pray with somebody. We'll have some people up here who will be there to pray with you. And, and, um, but know that the God loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And here we are, people who have know him relationally and have eternal life through him. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for, for Jesus. Here he is in the midst of the deepest crisis in his life. And we eavesdrop and hear him praying. And he's praying for us. He's pouring out his heart in prayer to the Father. Oh, Father, protect them. Help them. Set them apart and sanctify them. Uh, Father, unify them. I want to take them home and I want them to see everything that you have done for me. And, and, and I want them to see my glory. And I want them to share that and to be with me forever. This on the heels of, of going to the most horrendous torture and death. Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you so much. We praise you. We honor you. We glorify you. We ask that you would be glorified in us and in our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.